0: Now, I'd like you to get your Bibles. Uh, I would hope that you'd have them handy so that you can make sure I'm not uh, taking anything out of context or misunderstanding anything in scripture. You see, as we are about to learn, it's very easy for those with bad messages to infiltrate the hearts of people who see themselves as good, godly people. So, from now on, I want you to have your Bibles at the ready and I want you to check everything I say and every verse I use. So once you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn with me to the Gospel according to Matthew. I want you to go to chapter 7, verses 13 through to 20. ngE ye at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns, or figs of thistles? Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits shall ye know them. So, as you've probably guessed by now and also read in the title of this episode or this podcast, whatever you want to call it, this sermon is about false prophets, heretics, wolves in sheep's clothing, etc. But what does it mean to be a wolf in sheep's clothing? And how uh, can we tell the wolves apart from the sheep? Well, let's start off by looking at why Jesus used a wolf and sheep analogy to get his point across. In this passage, Jesus was doing something that he did quite a lot of throughout his ministry. He was referring to the Old Testament, or as he would have known it, simply, Scripture. There are a lot of times in the New Testament where Jesus does this. Why? Well, uh, it's because he was preaching to God's people, and God's people were Jewish. And being Jewish, they would have studied what we now consider to be the Old Testament and would understand the references that Jesus was making and it would help them to understand his overall message. This is one of the reasons that I encourage everybody to read the entire Bible, not just the New Testament. I think that a good understanding of the Old Testament leads to an even better understanding of some of the teachings of Jesus and some of the basically main messages of the New Testament. And I believe that this is one such case. So let's look at some relevant verses from the Old Testament. Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 6. My people have been lost sheep. Their shepherds have caused them to go astray. They have turned them away on the mountains. They have gone from mountain to hill. They have forgotten their resting place. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Leviticus chapter 20 verses 3 through 6. And the Lord said to Moses, Lead ye not my people into the way of the wicked, for mine people are a number of sheep, and the wicked who wish to lay hurt upon them are as hungry wolves. And finally, the 23rd Psalm, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. Now, this doesn't even scratch the surface of the amount of times the Bible, um, Old Testament and New, refers to God's people as sheep. We are the flock. The Lord is our shepherd, and He is warning us in places in the Bible, like Matthew chapter seven, to be weary of false preachers, heretics, wolves among the sheep. Now, you might think that you're pretty good at uh, spotting the wolves among the sheep. But are you? I'd like you to turn to one of the passages I mentioned before, that being Leviticus chapter 28, verse 3 through to 6. Once you do um, that, you might be quite surprised to find that the book of Leviticus only has 27 chapters. So where did the passage come from? Well me. I made it up. I invented it while I was writing this sermon. Now, I want to ask you truly, would you have known that I made it up if I didn't tell you? Some people listening uh, to this might already have known either because they just happen to remember that Leviticus only has 27 chapters or because they were doing as I asked at the start of the sermon and checking everything I said. So why did I lie? Why did I invent this verse? It was to show you that anyone can preach a false gospel. Anyone can lie. Any sheep uh, can really be a wolf in disguise. It was also to test uh, you to see if you would be able to spot a lie when it was hidden amongst the truth. If you pass the test then congratulations. If not then that's okay. But you need to start being more careful about how trusting you are of creatures. That's not to say that you can't trust your local pastor or priest or whoever, or that everyone you listen to is secretly a wolf in sheep's clothing, but you have to be sure. Don't distrust your local pastor, but make sure that what he says is truthful and it lines up with scripture. Now here's something I want you all to remember. Sometimes people make mistakes. If your pastor says something that you believe is contrary to the truth of the Bible or the truth of God, it might be because he is in fact a wolf among the sheep. However, it's also important to realise that pastors are people too. I've had it happen to me before where I was preaching and said something that was contrary to the truth of the gospel. Now this wasn't a lie on my behalf, nor was it a misunderstanding of scripture. What had happened was that I had misspoken. I had accidentally said something that I didn't mean to say and I didn't even realise that I had said it until quite a while later when someone pointed it out to me. It wasn't something I believed before, during, or after the event. It was a genuine mistake on my part, a slip of the tongue. However, it was a false teaching. A false teaching that I only found out I had taught because someone was actually paying attention to what I had said. This person realised that I had said something wrong and so they asked me about it. Because of this, I was able to rectify my mistake. This person didn't call me a false prophet. They didn't call me a heretic. They didn't call me a wolf in sheep's clothing. They just realized that I had said something wrong and wanted to find out the genuine truth of the matter. This is what I urge every one of you to do. If ever your pastor or priest or whoever says something that you believe is contrary to the truth of the gospel and to the truth of God, then bring it to them and give them a chance to explain themselves. But what if they meant what they said? What if they were preaching something that you disagreed with, and what if it was intentional? Well, then you better go and make sure of the truth. Something that people often forget is that they can be wrong, just as anyone else can be. If we see something we disagree with, our pride tells us that it is in fact wrong, and that we are right, and we listen to our pride uh, because it's telling us the things that we want to hear, rather than the things that we need to hear. It's telling us kind lies, rather than harsh truths. But what if you do go and look into what the preacher said and found out that you are in fact right, or they seem to be right? Well, that doesn't mean the preacher is a false one. It might just mean that they disagree with you. So how can we tell the wolves from the sheep, uh, the wolves in sheep clothing? Sorry, apart from those who simply disagree with you. Well, the answer can be found in Matthew's Gospel, chapter seven, verse sixteen: "You shall know them by their fruits." Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Do these people bear the fruits of a Christian? To answer that, we must ask another question. What are the fruits of a Christian? Well, one of the most important fruits is love, uh, sometimes called charity. So, what is biblical love? Well, the first book of Corinthians, chapter 13, verses 4-5, to laid out pretty clearly. Charity suffereth long, and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity uh, vaunteth not itself. Is not puffed up. Does not behave itself unseemly. Seeketh not her own. Is not easily provoked. Thinketh no evil. When seeing if someone is a false prophet or not, you must see, do they show these qualities? Do they suffer long? Which means, are they patient? Are they kind? Are they easily provoked? Are they envious? Here's the thing. You can fail to show all of these things or some of these things and still not be a false preacher. How, though? Well, because failing to show these things is called sinning. And we all sin, but we're not all false preachers. At the end of the day, if you want to see who is or isn't a false teacher, you must use both the Bible and guidance from God. If you think someone is a false preacher, don't listen to them. If you go to church regularly and your pastor keeps saying things that you firmly believe are... Against the truth of God, to stop going to that church. Now I want to look at another issue. How do you make sure that you aren't a false prophet? Well, the easiest way to do this, to be completely honest, is simply just not spreading the gospel. Just simply not talking about God. However, that would go against God's wishes. Matthew chapter 28 verses 19 to 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. We are supposed to make disciples of all nations and people, so simply not spreading the word of God isn't really an option for us. That doesn't mean that you have to become a pastor or priest or reverend or whatever. You can spread the word of the Lord by talking to people about him and showing God's love through your life and through your actions. Show love, be kind and do good things in the name of the Lord and you will end up spreading his message far more effectively than a lot of preachers. Now I want to quickly go back um, and touch on something I mentioned before. You see, before you will remember I mentioned disagreements and some people might say, well what do you mean disagreements? Uh, Isn't it very clear what the Bible teaches and so on and so forth? Well, Not quite. See, there are some things that are very clear in the Bible and some things that are a bit more foggy. Um, And this is where disagreements can arise because it's an incredibly complex book inspired by an infinitely complex God. Basically, to sum it up simply, I believe that there are two types of disagreement. Salvation level disagreement and non-salvation level disagreement. Now. With the exception of the idea of the grace covenant, everything can be salvation level or non-salvation level. What determines whether or not an issue is salvation level or non-salvation level is why you believe the thing that you do. Let's take evolution for example. If you believe in the story of creationism, sixth day uh, creationism and the seventh day uh, for God's rest or maybe that's called young earth creationism or maybe you're an old creationist if you believe in that because you believe that is genuinely God's truth and you love God and you you want to follow him and you want to follow his truth and you like I said believe that that is his truth then that is not a salvation level issue whereas if you believe uh, in evolution um, because you genuinely believe that is the truth of God and you still love God more than anything else that's not a salvation level issue However, if you only believe in evolution because it suits you to believe in evolution, if you believe in evolution because it makes more sense for what uh, this, what the scientists are saying basically makes more sense than what this old book about some god says, well then that is a salvation level issue because in that instance the reason for your disagreement is your pride you are pushing what you want to be true what suits you to be true above what you genuinely believe god's truth is and it's the same the other way around if you believe in the creation story because it suits you to believe in the creation story well then you're pushing yourself and your wishes and your wants and your pride above the lord god almighty and when you do that any small thing no matter what it is can become a salvation level issue now I said there was an exception to this rule of anything can be salvation or non salvation, and that was the idea of the grace covenant. You see the thing is with salvation to non salvation the salvation level issues all have to do with pride it's all to do with who whose truth do you want to prevail, the truth of God or your own personal sort of personalised truth that suits you well. It's all to do with pride. This doesn't apply to the Grace Covenant. The Grace Covenant is the idea that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. This cannot be a non-salvation level issue in my opinion. You see, when you deny the Grace Covenant, you are denying that Jesus's sacrifice was enough. And you were, usually, this comes in the form of saying, you know, works based salvation, for example, the works covenant. When you do this, you put yourself in that position of God. You put yourself before the Lord. You say, my works can do what Jesus couldn't. You say, I can do what God can't and it's the same i believe of purgatory to say it, it, the whole thing completely goes against the whole thing purgatory and workspace salvation completely goes against the idea of the afterlife and salvation and so on and so forth because it's this idea that you can do what god couldn't jesus came down on the cross and he died for you but that wasn't enough for you you need to do something let me tell you that idea is entirely unbiblical it goes against Every major teaching about salvation that can be found in the New Testament of the Bible uh, goes against everything Jesus ever said and did. Jesus would not have died on the cross if there was another way. That's why he did die, there was no other way. The wage of sin is death and so he died for us. So like I said, when you take Jesus down off of that cross and try, uh, try to work your way up to heaven instead, that's pride. That's arrogance speaking. You're denying God. You're denying what he did for you. You're denying the grace covenant. You're denying something that either way is very clearly spelled out for you. You're uh, saved by grace through faith. I uh, will quickly defend it by saying, because um, some people will try and point to other verses and say, oh no, see, this says uh, faith alone is dead. You need works and whatever. The way grace through faith works is, The grace is God's, the faith is yours. You have faith and then God has grace and then he allows you to be saved. That faith, that true saving faith, can never be alone. But it saves you alone. That faith in Christ's sacrifice is your part to play in your own salvation. The works are proof of that. See, when you become saved, if you suddenly want to start going to church, your sudden church attendance doesn't save you. It proves that you've been saved. If you want to get baptized, your baptism doesn't save you. It proves that you have been saved. Whereas if you decide you don't want to go to church, you don't want to get baptized, you don't want to repent for your sins, you don't want to pray, but you say, I love God, I just don't want to put in any of the work. The absence of those good works, of those good things, of that church attendance, of that want to get baptized, it doesn't stop you from being saved. It just goes to prove that you aren't so at the end of the day grace through faith in Christ that's how you are saved so sorry for that little tangent there um, so we'll wrap up now with a prayer heavenly father i ask you to please help me in distinguishing between the sheep and the wolves I ask you to guide me in your love and in your kindness. And I ask you, Lord, guide my tongue that whenever I use it, I use it in the way you want me to. Help me, Lord, please, to lead people to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, before I end this little episode off, I want to ask for your guys' suggestions. Um, If you want to reach me, then you can go uh, to... My Discord, my TikTok, anything like that, it's all called the Faith Channel. I leave a comment, leave a message, something like that. I ask for sermon suggestions and ideas for basically just stuff you want to see me do. Um, so I've got a few ideas for sermons lined up, but I really do want to see what you guys have to say, because it can really help me then if I see that you guys are maybe struggling with something, or you guys have some burning questions or something like that, that I think I could um, delve deep into, and that I think would make a good sermon.